0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Jared Ott. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, it's great to uh, be here with you today. As you see that we've been in a series called A Detectable Disciple, uh, a Christian in an UnChristian World is the series that we've been going through the past couple weeks. Uh, we're going to be talking about it today, and then we'll be talking about it next week as well before we move into a new series uh, in October dealing with the family. But we have been talking about... Um, a detectable disciple, what it means. And we, we can learn a lot from Daniel, uh, especially from this passage that we're about to study. So will you pray with me before we begin? God, thank you for today. Father, thank you for Daniel and his life. Father, we thank you for the courage that he has shown. Father, how much we can learn from him. Father, pray that you be with us in our time together. Father, that we are not just hearers of the word, but doers of it. Father, pray that you speak through me. I pray that my lips are your lips. And my heart is your heart. Father, thank you for today. I pray that this message is yours. Father, speak to us today in our time together in your name. Amen. Well, we have been talking about Daniel, and there is a lot we can learn from Daniel. What's amazing about Daniel is that, you know, from this passage here, he was only 15 years old. 15-year-old guy. I remember um, thinking when I was 15, um, I don't think I, people would have learned as much from me as they did from Daniel. Daniel showed a lot of courage um, in, his, in his stances against things that he stood up for things no matter what people thought of him. When I was thinking about this passage this week, I was thinking when I was 15, I remember I was a freshman in high school and I was immediately brought back to my first day of school my freshman year. And as many of you are in here or maybe you're a freshman or remember your freshman year, it's a big deal. High school is a big deal. And I remember as probably many of you a few weeks ago when you're getting ready for your first day of school, especially high school, you you get out all your new clothes, your new shoes and Shirts and pants because you 're ready to go, want to make a good first impression, and I remember doing that the night before and waking up, putting on my, my new shirt and pants and shoes, and walking out to the bus and getting on the bus and The girl next to me was wearing that same shirt <laughs> pants and shoes, and I thought, boy, something 's not right here, and so we had an argument on the bus about who was in the right, who was wrong. Um, only to find out that my uh, shirt did button backwards from what I was used to and I got it and the tag said it was from the Deb shop. So I immediately realized that I was wearing girls clothes for my first day of high school. (laughs) Fortunately, her last name was very similar to mine so we were paired next to each other the entire day so people thought we were twins. (laughs) The only courage I ever showed at 15 was going back the second day of school despite what people thought. so Daniel, 15 years old, had courage, didn't he? Despite what people thought of him, he stood up for things. He stood up for what he knew was right. That's what we're going to hear from our our passage today. If you have your Bibles or your service sheets, our, our passage today comes from Daniel 1, starting in verse 8. Starting in verse 8. Excuse me. Yeah, starting in verse 8. chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Israel, Please test your servant for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and drink, and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the younger men who ate the royal food. We look at Daniel, he, he took a stand for things that he knew was right or wrong. If you were in the sanctuary last week, you know that Bruce Bickle covered some of this. So for some of you, it might be a refresher, but for others, it's important that you hear this. It's important that you hear this. Because one thing that we're going to learn about from, from Daniel is that like one of the characteristics of him is that he had an uncompromising spirit. Uncompromising spirit. He took a stand on the things that he knew was right and wrong. Do you understand that as Daniel reflected, he understood he reflected God no matter where he went in life. And I tell you this as as a church, if you're believers, if you know and love Christ, you reflect him wherever you go. We had a membership class last last week here downstairs. It was a wonderful class. The opportunity to teach that class. We had 40-so people come to that class, and we're going to have a, we're gonna have a uh, service for them here next week. And one of the things I told them is that now that they're members, that they represent Christ's church Grove Farm. No matter where they go, they re- represent Christ's church. But as a prerequisite to membership, they have to have a relationship with Christ. So no matter where they go, they ultimately will reflect God. They will reflect Him. That's why 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, All of us who have the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changing into His glorious image. We reflect God no matter where we go. If you get anything out of this message, it's that. That's what a detectable disciple really is. People will look at you and go, you know what? That is a Christian. That's why Colossians 3.17 says, So let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever be done in the name of the Master Jesus. Everything you do, details, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus. See, we can't live as separated from this world if we settle for every belief that that comes across our way. This happens all the time in churches, in our own lives, where it's kind of like whatever anybody believes, you say, Okay, yeah, let's just go with that. As long as it makes you feel good, as long as you're happy, we'll just kind of blend it all together. That's what they call syncretism, where you kind of blend it all together. And churches do this really well, don't they? They don't want to offend anybody with the truth of the gospel, so they say, well, that's not, that's not really right or wrong, it's just how you feel, It's how you feel. So they don't take hard stances on things that are very clear-cut in the Bible. Abortion, homosexuality, thoughts on family and marriage. The creation of the world, evolution, thoughts about God, thoughts about salvation, how to get to heaven. There's a syncretism where they say, "Well, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's other ways to look at this." There's not. The Bible's clear, clear, clear cut on things, but people don't want to take a stand on things because they don't want to be outcast. That's what courage is. They don't want to be outcast. I don't want to take a stand because I don't want to offend somebody. That's why John fifteen nineteen is so true. If if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to this world. I have chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. That's why the world hates you. We're fearful because we don't want people to, to hate us. As I grow older, the one thing I'm learning is that while I love everybody around me, as long as I'm teaching truth of the word, I don't care what people think of me. That's why it's a lot easier in counseling to do that because I don't care what that person thinks of me as long as I'm teaching truth of the word. I probably will offend them, and that's okay. It's hard, though, isn't it? Hard to take a stance on things. As parents, it's hard to do that with their kids, huh? It's hard to do that. I uh, knew some people a year or so ago, and they were, we were talking, they were talking about how, you know, they, they feel like this world is just a, is a, an awful place, but they weren't going to make some hard stances for their kids. And so they, they kind of felt like they were going to let them do whatever they want to do, let them learn from their mistakes, because that's how the parents learned. And a few months ago, they came up to me, and they said, you know, Jerry, we really need to talk. My, my kids are falling apart. They're sloppy. They're lazy. They're not spiritual. They're not going to church. And I go, "Well, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> they don't take a hard stance on things. They don't set up guidelines and boundaries. Because they don't have the courage to do so. Parents, we need to do that. Why? Because the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so you cannot do whatever you want, says Galatians 5.17. 5, we can't just say, you know what, live is wh- however you want to live. There's freedom in Christ. People use that and say, hey, we're going to live however we want to live. We're not going to take a stance on anything. What happens is, is you always go the way of the flesh. That's always away from God. And then you get the parents who go the opposite direction. They go, you know what, this world is such a terrible place that I'm going to isolate my children as best I can. I knew some uh, friends growing up. When I was growing up, I had a friend who lived in that household who didn't, wasn't allowed to have any unchristian friends, wasn't allowed to play any sports with any unchristian people, wasn't allowed to listen to the radio or watch TV, wasn't allowed to look at anything or read anything that wasn't um, godly or spiritual or have verses all the way through it. What happened was, their parents tried to isolate them so much. They got to college that when the pressures came, they didn't know how to deal with those pressures of the world. I think Daniel's parents took a very good middle ground stance with Daniel. He says, look, Daniel, you're going to be in the world, but not of the world. We want you to be in the world, but not of the world. See, we're going to go and leave this place, and we're going to be in the world. The question is, so are you going to be in the world, but not of the world? As we look at the background, of this passage that we're going to study here today, we see that Daniel took a hard stance on things. Nebuchadnezzar tried to change Daniel. He tried to change Daniel in three different ways. Daniel said yes to two of them, no to one of them. He said yes to two of them, no to one of them. The first one he said yes to is, you see in verse four, Nebuchadnezzar tried to redefine or compromise Daniel by his education, by his education. The king, it says that uh, uh, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylons. The education included mathematics, reading, astronomy, astrology, politics, history, agriculture, literature, all kinds of stuff. And Daniel accepted this because he said, you know, I'm going to run all that education through the the scriptures. All that through the Mosaic Law so I can know which one's true, which ones I need to, to buy into, and which ones I can take a hard stance on. Daniel was able to do that. Some of us, many of us here, students—maybe you're in elementary, middle school, high school, college, post-college—you're in a secular education system, and that's fine. The question is: Is are you going to run everything through Scripture? Because what you'll be taught sometimes will be contrary to what the Scripture says. So, are you able to know the Scriptures to know if that's contrary to it? I was uh, talking with a uh, a young woman last week, right after services, who. Um, she was going to go into counseling. She was going to go start a counseling, uh, go to counseling sc- uh, graduate school, and that's where my education lies, so she was asking me if that was okay. Jared, is that okay that I go to a school that's secular for counseling? I said, that's fine. You're going to learn some good stuff, but you need to run everything through Scripture because there's going to be some stuff in there that they're not going to tell you to make a hard stance on. They're going to say, hey, look, be politically correct. Don't offend people. Just make sure people feel good when they walk out of the room. And you've got to be able to know the scriptures well enough to say, you know what, that's right, that's wrong, that'll never make you happy. That's why Theodore Roosevelt said a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education coming from a president. Do you know the Bibles? Do you? Are you willing to take a stance? David also said yes to number two on this. Nebuchadnezzar tried to refine Daniel by changing his name. You see in verse 7, if you have your Bibles, it says that the chief gave new names. Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. Daniel actually originally meant, God is my judge. Belteshazzar means, "Bell protect the king. Bell was a false god. So Daniel's name went from godly to very ungodly. Daniel accepted that. Why? Because he knew that... That that the king Nebuchadnezzar could change his name, but he could never change his heart. You could change my name, but you can't change my heart. So he accepted that. The third thing Daniel said no to, Daniel did not accept, was about the food and the wine. Verse 8 that we just read. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. The, the New American Standard, he said, he made up his mind. The King James says he purposed in his heart. He made a decision that he wasn't going to drink that food and the wine. Why? Because he knew that was wrong. The Mosaic Law said that is wrong. How do we know that? Well, we know that from Exodus 34 and Leviticus 11, that it was food. It was unclean food. That he wasn't supposed to eat. Well, what about the wine? Jews drank wine, right? Well, they drank wine, but it was also diluted. Okay? They, would, they would dilute it with water. Strong drink was prohibited. We know that the Babylonians drank st- st- wine straight. They never diluted it. So Daniel knew very clearly that his actions were going to defile God's law. And he said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He didn't want to pollute or spoil. He wanted to defile himself. He didn't want to mark on his back, on his shoulders, for the rest of his life, people knowing, you know what, Daniel, you lived your life, you set standards, you you didn't compromise, but in that one thing you did. That's courage. Fifteen-year-old. Fifteen. Goes up against a whole empire, the Babylonians. That's courage. Not the absence of fear. It's the fact that he went through it even though it might have been fearful so my first question to you out of all this is do you know your scriptures well enough do you know your scriptures well enough to take a hard stance on things to be uncompromising in the world because look we, we live in a world where there's things contrary to the bible we see that all the time are you do you know your scriptures well enough to be able to make that hard stance on things Even though the world's going to hate you, you can say, you know what, it doesn't matter what you think of me. This is what the scripture says. Are you willing to stand up for those things? Do you know your scriptures well enough? We need to be reading this every day so we know. Well, Daniel was able to make a very clear decision, uncompromising decision on on some clear matters. Eating food and the wine. My question for you. Is what do we do with all those areas in the gray areas of life? Because that's going to be a question that comes up. Jared, what do we do with all those things in the Bible that aren't so clear? How do we make those decisions? Unfortunately, the Bible does not tell us who to marry. That would be be a very popular, popular passage. It doesn't tell us what job to take. It doesn't tell us what we watch on TV. It doesn't tell us what our friends are. As adults, it doesn't tell us how do we spend our money or what things are appropriate or inappropriate in intimacy. As teens and young adults, it doesn't tell us what friends we have, what movies we go to, what we watch on TV, what do we post on Facebook and Twitter, what do we, what do, we do with all those things? It doesn't tell us these things. And so people will look at the scriptures all the time and they'll look at that, that popular passage in Timothy where it says, all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in Righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And they'll look at that and they'll go, well, the, the scriptures are good for that. And so they'll, then they'll try to find the hidden meanings. And so what the next step is. People try to find the hidden meanings of things. I've seen this all the time. People are wondering who they should marry. So they'll open up the scriptures. They'll go, who should I marry? They'll open it up. and They'll look at Paul's thing where it says, oh, it's better to be single. And they break it off with somebody. And I go, what in the world? Where did you get that from? I met with a guy a while back who had posted something very, very terrible about his own wife on Facebook. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I read the passage that out of the heart the mouth speaks. So that's how I felt. So that's what I said. (laughs) Oh, now I see why you're in here with me. That's good. (laughs) People look for these hidden meanings of things. It's just not there. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed, to, revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may follow all the words of his law. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. This is hard for many of us because we're looking for those hidden meanings. Fortunately, some things belong to the Lord. Now, it wouldn't do you any justice right now if I said, okay, let's close in prayer. God bless you as you leave here. There's a lot of secret things we don't know. That's not it. Because all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking. So where do we go? Where do we go? Where do we go with decisions that are in the gray areas of life? We need to go to the scriptures. Where do we go? Two scriptures. Here they are. They're going to come up on the screen behind me. The first one is 1 Corinthians 6.12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. And the second one is 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible, but not everything is constructive. Everything's permissible, but not everything's uh, constructive. Another word there is edifying. So the question is, is... how do we know about the gray areas of life? How is scripture helpful? We run it through three tests. Three tests. Go back to the first one. The first thing is not everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Is it beneficial for you? The second one is everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. The second one, is it going to master you? Will it control you? Will it become something that becomes an addiction to you, controlling your life? And the third one in the next verse is everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive or edifying edifying for others, constructing, building up. The verse right after that, 1 Corinthians ten twenty four says, nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. So is it beneficial for me? Will it, be master, will it be c- control me or b- become a master to me? And is it constructive and edifying for others around me? So the first one. Is it beneficial? See, there's freedom in Christ, isn't there? See, people will go around and say, you know what, as Christians, this isn't, you know, we're, we're confined to things. Everything's permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So the first question is, when things come up, is what you're looking at, what you're reading, what movies you're going to, who your friends are, is it beneficial? Is it going to point you to God? Is it going to, as we said already, reflect the glory of God, because it reflects the glory of God wherever you go? So will that push you to reflect the glory of God, or will it push you away from the glory of God? Well, that movie that you're watching, those TV shows, the person that you're dating, if you're going to marry that person, is that person going to push you towards God or push you away from God? If it's going to push you away from God, I would caution about marrying that person. Because is it permissible? Yeah. Is it beneficial? Probably not. What about music? Music is always a hot topic. Because there are things in life, before we get to the music thing, there are things in life that are beneficial. There are things that relax us. There are things that are good for our minds. There's physical exercise, leisurely activities that are beneficial for us. There's a lot of things beneficial. TV shows, movies, they, they help relax us. That's fine. Some, th- some things help us focus mentally. So some things are good mentally. Some things hanging out with people, socializing, having parties. That's okay because there's a, there's a social benefit. But is it going to push you towards God or away from God? Music was a hot topic because people asked me this. Well, what kind of music is good or bad? It doesn't really say in the scriptures, does it? Is it beneficial is the question. I know of a guy um, that uh, I go to school with. I'm in a doctoral program, and I meet with, uh, up with him every uh, couple times a year. And uh, he's a pastor in South Carolina, and he loves classical music. He always talks to me, Every time we're together we'll have lunch and he always talks to me all about classical music and I pretend to be interested and, and uh, he's telling me all these things and uh, no, it is interesting but he's go, he goes to concerts and he listens to classical music to church, and, uh, uh, on his way to church and the way home from church and he's, when he's at home and it really f- focuses his mind and so is it beneficial? Yes because it's focusing his mind it's putting him on, on, on the, the image of God and so, so it's focusing his mind so it is good for him, so it is beneficial but then you ask about other music what if the music and the lyrics were pointing you away from God what if they, were, they weren't reflecting the glory of God and they were pushing away from God? Is that beneficial? I would say probably not. So the first thing is beneficial for you. The second thing, is it going to master you? Master you. The word master is the word excusio, which means to have full control over, to hold the, the body subject to one's own will, to be held captive. I think we can all know of things that hold us captive. There's a lot of addictions we have. Maybe we don't even know it. But there's things that hold us captive. There's a lot of leisurely activities that we do with our time, isn't there? Golfing, fishing, exercising. Again, good for the body. But sometimes those lead to things that master us, that control us. Is golfing good? Yeah. Is fishing good? Yeah. Is reading a good thing? Can it be beneficial? Yeah. Can it lead to an addiction? Absolutely. Can it lead to something that's going to end up controlling you that you have to do? What about going to bars? Are good or bad? Well, there's a social aspect. You can say, well, that's good. But it could, could it lead to uh, an addiction with drinking? Yeah. Could it potentially lead to you having to go to bars every weekend to socialize? Yeah. So we have to be careful of these things. That they don't become masters of us. Because they easily can get there. They easily can get there. That's why Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. The thing about being mastered by something is that obsessions lead to ruined marriages or family or finances. One thing always suffers when something else is mastered by something. Something always suffers. I'm talking to people who who finances, who they go and spend on these leisurely activities, and they're obsessed with it, and then their finances are a wreck. They become mastered by it. That's why Robert Louis Stevenson says, per- perpetual devotion to what a person calls their business is only sustained by perpetual neglect of many other things. So I'm talking to marriages who are, who are failing because either the husband or the wife are completely devoted to something. We talk about the heart issue of this. It's becoming a master to you. I don't start with, let's set up all the blockers for those things. I start with the heart issue. Because you're mastered by it. You're controlled by it. And one thing I always tell people is that isn't it wonderful that God says you can't be tempted beyond what you can bear. So if you're in this room and you're mastered by something, maybe there's something in your mind, maybe there's something that you have perpetual devotion to, and you feel like it's controlling you, that you're captive to it, I say, God's the God of healing. And He can lead you out of that. So will it be beneficial? Will it master you? And thirdly, will it be constructive? Will it be constructive? Another translation is to edify, to build up. As I said before, the verse that precedes it is, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. So the third question is, is what you're doing, the attitudes, the actions, the behaviors you're doing, is that going to edify and encourage those around you? Will it be good for those around you? Will it build them up? There are so many things that are beneficial. There are so many things that we say, yes, we have control over, that are not mastering us. But then there are some things that we say, you know what, That's not really beneficial for those around me. It's not really beneficial for those around me. Maybe it's an activity you have. I use fishing as an example. That can be very beneficial, very relaxing. That's good. And guys can have, or girls can have a good control over that. So You know, I'm not going to do it that often. I'm not obsessed with it. But when families or marriages are failing, and they need to have a conversation with their spouse or with their children, is it good to go fishing at that time? Is it good to go out socializing at that time? Is it good to pick up a book and avoid it at that time? No, because that's not constructive. That's not edifying for those around you. A very clear example of this is a while back, I had a, uh, a guy I was talking to about a job, and he was wondering if he should take this job. And it was a good, high paying job. Twice as much as you make making now, which was good. It's beneficial. It's helpful. He said he'd have control over it. It wasn't going to master him, something he'd love to do, but he had some pretty good time management skills, so I, I assumed it wouldn't control or master him. The problem was, is that his marriage was already failing, and his children thought he was an absentee dad, and this job was going to require him to be gone twice as much as he is now. And so I asked him the last question, is this going to be edifying, and constructive for your family? You see, because the scripture's not going to tell us these things. Yes, take the job, um, marry this person, don't put this on Facebook, post this, hang out with this friend, do this TV show, don't watch this, go to this movie, don't do this. It's not going to go through those things. The only thing that we can do is run everything that we're doing through Scripture. Is it beneficial for me? Is it going to eventually master me? And is it constructive and edifying for those around me? Will it be constructive and edifying for those around you? The one thing I always, when I'm doing a wedding, I only have a few moments with uh, the couple. I don't want to go long-winded. I I go over a lot of stuff already in premarital counseling. So I only have a few minutes with them. And what I tell them is, hey, listen, there's going to be a lot of priorities for your time. There's going to be a lot of priorities for your time. And what happens is, is that people put the, they have the right priorities, but they have the wrong order of things. They think, oh, you know what, I need to go, I need to go exercise because that will keep me physically fit so I'll be good for my family. But they put that above their time with their family and their time with God. Or, hey, listen, I need to go do this thing because it'll be relaxing for me. If I'm more relaxed, then I'm better for my family. But they put their, that thing before their family or God. They spend their money on that before family or God. Or they say, listen, I really need to spend time with my kids. so I'm going to spend all my time with my kids. And they, they neglect their spouse altogether. Or, hey, these are the activities we want to do for our kids. We want to do this as a family. It's important we do this. But we do things on Sunday mornings that we're going to avoid church altogether. And I say, hey, those are all great priorities, but you got them in the wrong order. You've got to remember, God comes first. Your de- devotion, dedication to your spouse comes second, and then your children. Notice you are not in that equation because it's a selfless thing that we do. That's why Philippians 2 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Are you looking out? Is it constructive for those around you, what you're doing? It was J.R. Miller who said love is always ready to deny itself, to give sacrifice just in the measure of its sincerity and intensity. Perfect love is perfect self-forgetfulness. Hence, where there is love in a home, unselfishness is the law. Each forgets self and lives for others. So my question for you this morning is first off, do you know the scriptures enough that when things come up in your life that you're able to take a hard stance on stuff? Because there is stuff in scriptures that are clearly wrong or clearly right, and we need to take a stance for that. You need, to be a, you need to have the courage like Daniel at 15 years old to say, you know what, I don't care what people think of me, I don't care if the world's going to hate me, I'm going to follow exactly what the Bible tells me to do because the only thing that, that, that matters to me is God. The second thing is, are you willing for those gray areas in your life those things that you don't know what the answers are? Are you willing to run them through the tests? Is it beneficial for you? Will it eventually master you? And then will it be edifying and constructive for those around you? That's my encouragement for you today, to have courage to stand up, because there's going to be times where we fear what people think. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is going through it and standing up for things, even though there is fear. That's what courage is. Let me pray. God, thanks for today. Father, thank you for what we can learn from Daniel. Father, I pray that you be with us. Help us to take a hard stance on things. Father, when we know that they're true, when we know that they're false, help us to make a stand. And Father, for all those other areas, thank you for giving us guidance to know how we can run things through scriptures. Father, I pray that no matter what the actions or attitudes or the behaviors we have, Father, we can run those through scripture. Father, and stand up for what we know is right and have the courage to do so. Thanks again for today. Be with us in your name.